Hi guys, welcome back to A Pinch of Prevention. A Pinch of Prevention is a podcast associated with Evansville's very own Prevention Youth Council. Our mission is to uplift the voices of teens by providing them with opportunities to advocate for themselves and their communities and promote healthy interpersonal relationships. I'm Rupa. And I'm Nicole, and today we have with us Rabbi Gary Mazo. Could you please introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Rabbi Gary Mazo. I'm the rabbi here at Temple Attic in Israel. Um, I've been here for eight years, and I'm originally from New England. My wife and I actually moved here from Cape Cod. Um, we have six kids, and we have uh, five grandkids, um, and uh, we're enjoying our time here. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. So this will be the second episode of our religious series in which we interview people associated with different religions within the community. Our goal with this series is to create an open conversation between religious groups and increase the connectedness of our community. So for our first question, we just want to talk a little bit about your upbringing, how the religion became a part of your life, were you born into it, etc. Okay, so I grew up in um, Westport, Connecticut, a little town right in southern Connecticut, not far from New York City. And uh, I was born to a Jewish mom and a Jewish dad, so I grew up in Judaism. Um, I tended to gravitate a little bit more towards the synagogue and towards youth programming and summer camps and things like that. Um, but uh, we were very involved in my synagogue. I was very involved in youth group when I was in high school. Um, I went off to uh, Brandeis University in Boston and majored in anthropology and minored in Judaic studies. Um, and then after two years, figured um, that I wanted to go on and pursue a career as, as a rabbi. So. That's awesome. So within your religions, do you have any favorite traditions and like which you like celebrate them in any unique ways personally, things like so that? Judaism, first and foremost, Judaism is really a home-based religion. Right? So we, we try to um, facilitate and empower our families to be able to celebrate in their homes, and then we have communal gatherings, celebrations, worship services as well. So I think, you know, Passover is one of those holidays that's usually a big communal gathering here when there's not a pandemic. Um, and you know, we'll have over 100 people, and it's a very interactive you know, kind of a meal and service, and, and it's always a lot of fun. Um, we're coming up on our what we call our High Holy Days, Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Those are, you know, to the Jewish community, the big holidays Attendance-wise, probably similar to what Christmas and Easter would be in, in most churches. So we get to see people that we haven't seen, you know, for those two days. Um, the only problem is that they're 10 days apart. So our biggest holidays, we have uh, service the evening of Rosh Hashanah, the morning of Rosh Hashanah, the evening of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, morning of the Day of Atonement, and then five days later, the first of our festivals, which is called Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. So it's kind of like if you took Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, and you threw them all in you know, under two weeks. It's nonstop. Um, you know, it is nonstop. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's, uh, and it's busy, but it's nice to kind of see everybody. Yeah. And we're, you know, this year in particular, we're really hoping, we know that some people are going to continue to stay at home. Mm-hmm. And we do everything. We have a virtual option for everybody. Um, but, you know, it's been a couple of years yeah. since I've seen several, you know, of the families in the congregation. So we're really hoping that that'll be a nice communal gathering and celebration. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Yeah. So do you think that, like, within your religion, topics such as healthy relationships and consent are talked about enough? 
they're definitely talked about. Are they talked about enough? Yeah. Um, there's actually um, there's a study that's going on uh, in our youth program. So with uh, the North American Federation of Temple Youth is sort of the over, you know, the, the governing body, if you will, of um, youth groups in Reform synagogues all across the country. Um, and there are issues. There are issues, you know, with consent and hookup culture and all that yeah. stuff happening at camps and, you know, at youth programs. And they're really finally starting to address that um, and understand that more education needs to be done at the level of the synagogue yeah. um, with clergy, with educators, with high school kids um, to empower our kids to, you know, to, to make responsible decisions. Um, but... You know, I certainly, we, we do talk about it. Um, our high school kids continue educationally with me in our confirmation program, which they celebrate when they're 16 years old. Um, and we certainly deal with Jewish issues of sexuality in that you know, curriculum mm-hmm. as well. And we talk about, you know, the importance of, of some of these issues. But I think we can, we definitely need to do a better job because we see that culturally these issues are still, yeah. you know, still going on. Um, and you know there are issues you know, that they're dealing with at our seminary for yeah. you know similar issues. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, that answer our next question. Like, how important do you think these topics are to talk about within religion? And I, it, I would think, you know, it's, yeah, it, it's it's hugely important. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, without going into all the details, there was last year one of the professors at our seminary passed away, and only after he passed away did the floodgates sort of open of women over a 25-year span that were either harassed, abused, you know, put in compromising situations. And now, you know, they're really looking deeply at the past. You know, this was, you know, not a huge secret, but it wasn't necessarily dealt with in the way that it should be dealt with. And, And we're finally, we've got, you know, for rabbis, we have a very strict ethics code and we have an ethics committee and we have to take continuing education and things are monitored I mean there you know there's a very um, sort of a kind of tight control now over clergy but in years past in terms of the seminary and some of the congregations uh, it was not that way Mm -hmm. so a lot of issues are now coming up out of the past Mm -hmm. being dealt with um, and we're understanding that there's even more your education that needs to, to, to take place. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the roles of women within the religion? So um, Reform Judaism was one of the first of any religious body to ordain women as clergy. So um, there's a friend of mine who's a um, female rabbi who just celebrated the 50th anniversary of her ordination. That's amazing. That's, That's incredible. So, incredible. So we've been ordaining women for a long time. The philosophy of Reform Judaism is there truly are no gender roles. Right? Yeah. There is nothing that is afforded to you know, boys or men that is not afforded to girls or women. Um, past three presidents of our synagogue have been women. Um, women can be rabbis. Women can be cantors, which are the musical professionals. Um, and actually, in the past decade, I think there are more women ordained as rabbis than men. Um, so there, there, there are no boundaries in that sense, but that doesn't mean that um, everything is fully equal. Yeah. 
you know, equal yeah. pay is still an issue that mm-hmm. women rabbis are fighting for. Um, but our our particular branch of Judaism, which is the most progressive, is very good with parental leave for women and for men, um, and you know, is working to you know close the gap if there's pay discrepancy between women rabbis and, and male rabbis. That's amazing. Well, I know Caitlin, in our last podcast, she said there's a very like liberal side and a very conservative side of her religion. Is that kind of the same how it is for Judaism? Well, in Judaism, there are three sort of major denominations, okay. right? So there's Orthodox Judaism, which really doesn't exist here in Evansville, but it did at one time. Conservative Judaism and Reform Judaism. The oldest you know, American group would be Reform Jews because it started in the 1840s. Jews came out of Germany, out of the Enlightenment, and started a much more progressive approach to the religion. Um, over the years, you know, through the second wave of immigration, 1880s, early 1900s, Jews came from Europe and felt that the Reform Jews had gone too far, so they started the conservative movement. And then, um, really post, pre and post-World War I, that group tended to be more orthodox, and so they went you know, further to the right. Mm-hmm. Um, the vast majority of American Jews are Reform Jews. Um, and I think the, the reason is, one, um, it's the most open and welcoming and progressive body. Um, two, the vast majority of Jewish people now marry non-Jewish people. And in conservative and orthodox Judaism, they don't necessarily consider their children to be Jewish. For them, it depends on whether they have a Jewish mother or not. For us, if there's a Jewish mother or a Jewish father and there's a desire to raise a Jewish family, we kind of open the doors and say, all right, come on in and yeah. let's help you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that sort of divide in the Jewish community. Um, and there's a much huger divide when we get you know, to Israel. But yeah. That's a whole, whole other issue. Yeah. Okay. Um, within your religion, how do you think domestic abuse and like marriage are handled? So... Um, I think that um, within Judaism as within all communities, I think there was Mm -hmm. a period of time where things were not spoken about Mm -hmm. and things were sort of swept under the rug. Um, We certainly hope that's not the case anymore. You know, again, um, the Jewish view of relationships, you know, is one about, you know, cherishing and honoring and respecting and loving. There is no room for, you know, any kind of physical or emotional abuse in a relationship, you know, period. Judaism has always allowed for divorce. Um, and, you know, since biblical times, mm-hmm. when, you read the, when you go back and read the, you know, the biblical stories, there's a whole ritual, you know, an approach for divorce built into the Torah, which is 5,000 years old. Wow. There was always the understanding that if, you know, and it usually was a woman, was in an unhealthy relationship or her safety was compromised, she always had the opportunity you know, for and out, and the community would stand behind her. That's amazing. And again, you know, one of the more progressive elements of Judaism as a as a religion in, in, in general. I was going to say that already sounds really progressive, even back then. Like that's really yeah. impressive, actually. So, but it, you know, again, it doesn't mean that in some communities, yeah. Yeah, of course, women were shunned, and you know, and 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 there are still to this day in the Orthodox community, you know, um, some men who refuse to give their wife a, a divorce, and then yeah. they have to go through the Jewish courts and the legal courts and, you know, again, in, in the Reformed Jewish community, that's not an issue and that, and that doesn't happen. Okay. So. 
All right, so I know we sort of touched on this like regarding consent, but how do you think social issues such as sexual harassment are addressed or not? In well, I think um, you know they're addressed when we deal um, you know with religious education with our high school kids. Mm-hmm. You know, we certainly bring that up. We have mechanisms in place, you know, from the reform movement of Judaism now to to really deal with those. Everybody has an avenue um, to make sure that if that situation is taking place, that there are avenues to file complaints and have issues dealt with. And I think where there was a culture, you know, maybe a couple decades ago, where things, again, were sort of swept under the rug, to now now it's very much at the forefront, you know. And there are, um, you know, quite honestly, if a clergy person, you know, is found guilty of sexual harassment, they cease to be a clergy person. So... They'll be suspended from the rabbinic group or maybe expelled, and the same from the cantorial group. They will not get placed in another congregation, um, and they'll go to great pains to make sure that that situation is not, you know, repeated. And does that class start their freshman year and end their senior year, or how does that work? So confirmation class um, usually is their sophomore year. Okay. Right. So when kids are 16, Usually, that's that's when confirmation takes place. And then you have like these discussions, or you bring it up a little and this, bit. Yeah, so these, you know, I do have a curriculum, but there's of it's very loose, and you know, if there are issues that you know the kids want to talk about, um, we'll you know we'll talk about. It. All right, that's good. So, um, how does your religion handle LGBTQ plus communities, things like that? So, a great example. We'll talk about confirmation, and you know, I'm not gonna. Mention names because I yeah, don't know. Yeah, no, yeah, I knew you did, of course. But one of my confirmation kids last year um, was is is trans, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we did a bar mitzvah three years ago, um, and now the name has changed and feminine pronouns are used. Um, dress has changed, and you know we welcome her with open arms, and I did a lot of work with you know her family and and with her, and. She gave probably the bravest confirmation speech I've ever heard. I've been a rabbi for 31 years, mm-hmm. you know, and, and talked about, you know, being part of two minorities at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Growing up Jewish in a small town and then being trans and dealing with, you know, um, discrimination and, and, and you know, all, all kinds of things and coming to understand, you know, who she is. So... Again, you know, I speak as a reformer, yeah, rabbi, which yeah. is a progressive rabbi. But my, when I sort of teach, you know, we take the Bible seriously, but not literally. Mm-hmm. So, and when I read, at, you know, the very beginning of the Bible, where it says that humanity was created in the image of God. So, since you know, I believe in science, um, and I you know certainly understand that somebody's sexual identity is hardwired into their identity in the core of who they are. That means that's how they're created. Yeah. And if everyone is created in the image of God, and God doesn't make mistakes, then we are exactly who God wants us to be. Um, and then our job is to, you know, embrace and support and love one another, and not judge. There is no you should do this, you should be this, you should be this. This is right. This is wrong. We're all equal. Yeah. You know, and if we're all equal in the eyes of God, then we all have to be equal, obviously, in the eyes of one another. So there are no barriers. There's no um, we work hard to make sure that there's openness and inclusivity. Um, ours was the first, again, maybe of all religions, but certainly of Jewish religions, to include um, 
in our liturgies um, uh, service of same-sex marriage for rabbis to perform. So, Amazing. so that's you know you can go to my office and pull off the it's you know called the rabbi's manual and it's got all the services <laughs> and I mean I changed things, but the service is right in there. So it's wow. it's already you know and it's been for a while, you know a, a sanctioned service um, in Indiana. Um, I've done a couple of same-sex marriages. I obviously did far more when I lived in Massachusetts because yeah. it was the first state where that yep. became that mm-hmm. became legal. Again, the understanding that we're all created the way God wants us to be, and that the ideal state is to have somebody with whom to share and to love and to grow and to have a life partner, so that that ceremony of commitment, you know, is really no different. Whether it's a man and a woman, or two men or two women, mm-hmm. you know, it's people who are dedicating and committing everything they have to one another, um, and that's worthy of being sanctified. I think it's amazing to see how inclusive your committee community is. Just amazing to hear. Oh yeah, it's, it's incredible. You know, for us, this is just—I mean, this is just the way it is. And, yeah. You know, when you talk to Reverend Fleming, you're going to find the same thing. Yeah. At, at yeah. His church, you know, and that's those are. You know, that's how our denominations sort of work and understand and you know and, and um, you know it's it's all about mm-hmm. inclusion yeah that doesn't mean though that members of this congregation don't carry their own biases mm-hmm. and prejudices and make the wrong remarks and then it's you know my job to mm-hmm. educate them yeah. you know um, it's not an easy process mm-hmm. but know? the fact that you've been taking a responsibility to educate them like that's, well, it's, that's awesome. It's hugely, it's hugely important. Yeah, yeah and that's incredible. Important. Instead of just letting them think what they want, which obviously you're accepting, but yeah. yeah. No, it's. It, it, you know, I'm not going to stand for. You know, we won't tolerate within the walls of this community bigotry or homophobia mm-hmm. or hatred, you know, of of any kind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what leaders should do. Like yeah. you're setting an example, and you're clearly doing it very well. So yeah. well. Thanks. I mean, it's still, there's there's always work to be done. Yeah. 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 So these conversations that we're having right now, how valuable do you see them? Not only for us to hear and our viewers to hear, but just for other religions in general. Like, do you think more conversations should be held between religious leaders like this? I do. And and we've tried to have some of these conversations in in our interfaith groups as well. But there, you know, there are real differences. Mm -hmm. But, you know, We've, I told you before, we have an interfaith group with yep. us, with the Islamic Center, the Presbyterian Church, and the Catholic Church. And we have talked about these issues. We have talked about um, you know, same-sex marriage. We've talked about abortion. We have talked about the death penalty. We've talked about sort of hot-button issues, especially here in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And there are real differences. But we, when we get our interfaith group together, what we do is we teach usually our sort of sacred texts and our interpretation of those texts. Um, and then where we have sort of taken things in the 21st century and, and how we deal with the social issues. And you know, we don't always agree, but it's important to know where we stand. Mm-hmm. It's really important to know where we stand. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, I come from a much more progressive tradition, um, which is not necessarily in sync with most people here in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Although I would say it's in sync with most of the people in this congregation. It's amazing. Yeah, um, that's all we have. Thank yeah. you so much for letting us interview you.